It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to Government vs. the Robots, the fortnightly podcast that takes a look at how technology will influence politics in the future. I'm Jonathan Tanner and this week I'm talking to Alexandra Deschamps-Oncino. Alexandra is a designer, author and entrepreneur whose most recent book, Smarter Homes, takes a look at how the Internet of Things will revolutionise our home lives. We're going to be taking a look at the fact that Alexa is always listening and asking what that might mean for future court cases, thinking about how long it will be until insurance companies know how often we're having sex or going to the toilet and exploring why smart homes might be fantastic news for disabled people. My name is Alexandra Deschamps-Soncino, and I am the author of Smarter Homes, How Technology Will Change Your Home Life. And Alex, it's great to have you here today. Uh, we're going to be talking about the Internet of Things, and we're going to be talking about smart homes as well, as you just gave us a preview. But before we do that, you are a designer by trade and background, is that correct? Yes, industrial designer, interaction designer, a long career in entrepreneurship and basically startups in this space. And did you start out sort of picking up a sketch pad as a teenager and just, or, or did you look at things and feel a great sense of wanting to create your own items in the world or where did the kind of design sense start to emerge from? I grew up in Paris and I think it's in the Paris museums. So looking at art going, wow, this is amazing. And eventually having a DTC course in a um, weird British school in the Middle East uh, that introduced me to the engineering side of design. So I was never going to become an engineer, but I was going to become a designer, I think. And I knew that from that course at age 14. And I think you've got pieces of your own in museums now, is that right? Yes, I do. Yes, I have uh, two pieces in the MoMA in New York, uh, one piece in the London Design Museum. That must be satisfying. Very. <laughs> Good. I'm glad you said that. Usually people try and kind of take the edge off the achievement, but uh, I'm glad you owned it. Uh, when did you first start thinking about the Internet of Things? I think as a design student, as an industrial design student, I was once uh, told by a professor, well, just draw a box and put technology and someone else will design it for you. And I just thought that was so unsatisfying. I didn't like not knowing what new technologies were going to come in. I knew the internet was coming because as a design student in the early 2000s, it was clear that that was going to be a thing. And I wanted to know more. So I ended up doing an interaction design course uh, in northern Italy 
moved to Amsterdam, worked there, and have been here for 12 years selling Internet of Things products, platforms, uh, designing my own, building teams around these areas, and running the IoT meetup in London, which is now the second largest meetup in the world. And what's your go-to explanation of the Internet of Things? I don't really have one. I try to keep it as vague as possible because I think its vagueness is its strength. So I describe it as what happens when you put the internet in places where it was never meant to be or how the physical world might be affected by things that happen online. And I leave it as open as that. And is it right for me to think about the home as being the main place that the Internet of Things is starting to become a reality? I think yes, in the eyes of everyday people. Um, I think that it's a place where it's been easier to sell in new solutions, new products. Why is that? Mm, easier, more exciting to talk about uh, an extension of the image that people have of the future home, the home of the future, you know, the Jetsons, the ideal home show. It, it sort of fits within that narrative of new things will happen and those new things will blend the things you already know about, which is furniture, appliances, and the internet, which you also know about. Uh, whereas talking about it in industrial terms, in factory terms, is less exciting. It's also more risky for factory owners and industrial clients. And it just goes slower, uh, whereas you can sell things to people every Christmas. And has their home always been getting smarter? I mean, it feels like kind of gadgets are something that, you know, every, as you say, every Christmas there is a new gadget. Has the home consistently gotten smarter over the last couple of decades or is are we seeing an acceleration at the moment? I think we think we're seeing an acceleration, uh, but the physical world does slow things down quite a bit. Uh, it took upwards of 60 years for most of the West to get electricity in their homes. I think it's probably taken us some time to get to a point where most people have broadband. And so now we have this new world of, well, it'll take some time before everyone decides to get a smart fridge, for lack of a better example. And as, do you think the adoption of smart appliances is inevitable? I think that right now it's very hard for someone uh, to buy, for example, a dumb television. So if you, the TV is not necessarily an appliance, but it's still a good example. It's quite hard to go back from a television that has internet connectivity. Um, the appliance sector is certainly pushing in that direction. You can go right now to Curry's or wherever and pick something that probably has an app that's connected to it somehow, or you might be able to connect to it um, via some strange web portal or there's a button somewhere. So they're coming in, but we don't buy them at the same frequency as we buy televisions. We buy a fridge every 15 years, same for a washing machine, more or less. Doing this episode of Government versus the Robots has been interesting for me because it's kind of back to where we started, which is looking at specific technologies and thinking about what directions they're heading in and how, how is that changing and how might that get political. And while I was thinking about the home, the home does feel like, and I think a previous guest has said, but I can't remember who it was, the home does feel like kind of one of the places where datafication and so on, it's a kind of slightly untapped resource, not completely. But then we've spent recent episodes thinking about communications environment and changing nature of communications and obviously I guess the radio and the TV were both massive in how they sort of started to change the way that people were communicated with. Um, were they the first kind of 
intrusive appliances into people's homes? Um, I think that the radio and the telephone were. Uh, the television came kind of slightly after. What it did, which I think is very important to consider now, is they allowed people to have a false sense of privacy. So prior to you getting a telephone or a radio, you literally had people knocking on your door going, hey, I was in the neighborhood, just dropping by. You didn't necessarily make that many appointments with people. You didn't necessarily treat them as being unavailable if you saw their door or saw their apartment. You lived very communally. Uh, the front of your house was really public in a sense. And so the radio and the telephone are there to invite the outside world in and for you to be able to shut your door. And I think that's really, really important. We now live in a world, I think, where the outside world is rushing back in in ways that I don't think that we anticipated, but we still haven't learned to reopen our physical doors. And a lot of appliances kind of get uh, ascribed social impact. So I don't want to go over patronising stuff about the washing machine and the life of the housewife, for example. Um, but undoubtedly, some appliances have had social impacts. Um, are there others alongside the washing machine that kind of feel like they've played a, a role in changing people's home lives? I'm always very careful when talking about women's lives in, you know, her indoors, as it were. We have ascribed a certain value to new appliances that doesn't necessarily reflect uh, our changing society. The fact that we have washing machines and super efficient mixers or super efficient dryers doesn't mean that we're paid equally and doesn't mean that any time spent in that environment is valued in any way. And so regardless of what you sell to people and how much efficiency you sell to people via these appliances, it doesn't mean that the social environment around them learns to adapt or learns to value them any differently. I think any time spent indoors is time that is not valued uh, in our society, but is also valued as being hyper-private. So not to take a weird slant on this, but uh, the domestic violence that you suffer from is uh, private and is privately managed until the outside world is uh, aware of that. So I think we have to be careful about uh, assigning uh, success to these appliances. I think we're not nowhere near where we should be. And do you think that the evolution of smart homes might start to change that? I'd like to think so. I think it really questions, again, what is public and what is private. So to take a more benign example, an older person living alone in their home who might be spending 12 hours in front of the television every day. Samsung or LG probably know that that person is spending 12 hours every day in front of the television, and that's probably not great for them. Are they in a position to then tell social services or that person's family members, hey, grandpa or grandma is spending 12 hours a day in front of the telly? Uh, no, they don't want that responsibility right now. And uh, we haven't yet decided that the corporate sector is the one that is uh, really the one to handle our relationships with our family member. Uh, but that's what we do when we use smart devices, more or less. And what do you think are the appliances that are most likely to have new social effects? Not necessarily new appliances, but tweaked appliances that have been upgraded to become smarter? Or is there anything either already around or around the corner that feels like their impact could be quite profound? 
Well, we have already seen examples of uh, domestic violence and manipulation through things as benign as thermostats and lights. Um, so partners who will remotely control the environment that the other partner is living in. So it doesn't even need to be something that's coming up. Uh, its use and abuse is current and is of today. So I think that the more we add, the more we invite those complicated situations in the same way that we now have very complicated relationships with social media and we have very complicated relationships with the consumption of media inside the home. We will have equally complicated relationships with the consumption and production of data inside the home via these other products. And in the cases where there have been cases of domestic violence where appliances have been used in that respect, have authorities kind of taken notice of that or has there been the odd media article and the penny hasn't quite dropped yet that this has happened once and it will probably happen again? I think that there's been a few cases of, uh, for example, Alexa uh, being used in court uh, as an object that's recording something that might be happening in the background that's not supposed to be happening, whether that's a murder or domestic violence, I'd need to check. Uh, But these devices are starting to be used in the court of law. Uh, It's a little bit odd because then it really, again, pushes this idea of what's private, what's public. When I buy a product, usually, I buy it for private consumption. Um, If I commit a crime inside of my home, the manufacturer of the product used is not usually the first one that people call. But because the information being captured now is so rich, um, these companies now are in a situation of having to say, well, actually... I know that this person bought this product, but this person used our product to do something not so great. And we're now going to have to uh, reveal that data, open up that data, share this with the police, with whoever. And that's quite new. And is, are you a fan of, actually two questions, what, is Alexa always recording or Google Home or equivalents? I think it's uh, yes. It's always listening. You can then interpret that as you may. Um, it, there's not a ton of clarity around what exactly gets dumped or doesn't, recorded or doesn't. Mm. We do have instances where people are in the middle of a perfectly normal conversation without having prompted the voice assistant with the right word. And it still responds, records, sends something, does something. So there's a bit of ambiguity around exactly what listening means because listening is churning in the background with some speech-to-text analysis trying to figure out if something is related to their world. It's quite weird. Presumably, some the machine could be list, listening and then retroactively recording if necessary. Or it, what I'm, I guess what I'm driving at is the chances are that anything that happens out loud in the home could be captured at any time by one of those devices. And it's a, probably a decision for the device or the device manufacturer as to whether the capture is carried out. Yes, and I think the a lot of people talk about, in a sense, voice assistance on the edge, which is you do a little bit of local intelligence, so things that don't have to go out to the cloud, the internet, um, and enough intelligence to be able to ascertain whether, hey, I've been prompted, yes, I've my secret magic word has been called, Uh, or not. Right now, not a lot of it is happening at the edge, so on the device itself. There is that constant stream of data to a server somewhere, to a service somewhere. And do you, are you kind of comfortable with the evolution of these devices, or do you think that's something we should be paying more attention to? I think we have to be really careful about 
where we place them. Um, when asked this question, I often say, think about it as a person who's sitting there. Where would you want this person to sit? In your living room, maybe, because that's, I don't know, benign enough, but you wouldn't want to put this in your bedroom. You probably might not want to put this in your bathroom either. So think of where this person listening in, mute, um, might sit. And that gives people an analogy around, okay, well, maybe that's not something I want in every room. But maybe in my kid's room for homework is fine enough. And we're starting to think through some of the ways in which technologies like Alexa could become used part of political conversations. But just before we do that in a bit more detail, um, can you paint a picture for me of how smart it's conceivable that homes can get? Because I think everybody's kind of aware of the story of, you know, your fridge can keep an eye on your shopping and tell you when you need to buy some more butter. That feels like a kind of, most people are fairly aware that that's coming. What's kind of slightly further around the bend? I think you can take any single product that you have right now and someone somewhere is selling a version that has internet connectivity built into it or an app connected to it. Whether that's an appliance, a white good, uh, whether that is your hi-fi system and your whole musical environment, whether that's a scale to weigh you uh, in your bathroom, a smart toothbrush for you to brush your teeth, there is really a wide variety of products that are out there. So if you went ahead tomorrow, I don't know, your house is on fire, you have to buy everything anew, you could buy pretty much all of the things uh, with a chip in it. And that's very new, but at the same time very fragmented. Most of these products come with their own apps, so you'd have to download an app for every single object you own, which is probably not something you want to do, which is also why I think that most people might have one or two things in their homes which are non-device-like, so things that don't have screens on it. For everyone in the UK, for example, to have that would be a really big step, just one or two things. And is the driver of, say, a smart toothbrush, for example, is the driver of that because that toothbrush can brush your teeth better and and whoever it might be, Braun, have decided that they can make a toothbrush that brushes your teeth better because it's connected to the internet? Or is it because they want the data? I think there's a little bit of both. I think uh, most traditional product manufacturers are not very good at data. They don't have the data teams inside of their companies. They often are a little bit, they're sort of not very digitally focused uh, companies, but they feel like they have to do this because other people are. Um, so, you know, put a chip in it basically is the attitude of a lot of white goods manufacturers to then one day figure out what to do with the data. So you get enough people excited, enough people buying one for Christmas or the next time they go to the dentist or whatever, and you then have a ton of data that you can then think about using. With GDPR now, it's much harder to do anything very interesting with that data without consent. And what consent means, we can, I'm sure you've discussed in the past. Uh, but in the physical world, it's a little bit awkward. It's a little bit awkward for a toothbrush to ask you for consent for uh, it, the data that you're creating to be used somewhere else. And they often don't know who you are because when you're buying a connected toothbrush at Boots, they have no idea who you are. But presumably if you download the app, they do. 
They might, yes. Um, and again, if you're using accurate data when you're logging in, if you're people like me or a person like me, uh, you might use a crappy email address for all these kinds of things and an account that you never look at. So I don't necessarily think that it's so big as big brother as one would like it to be, but it does have the potential to be. And you made, uh, people listening won't have noticed this, but you made a face earlier on when I said that the home was kind of the last untapped frontier of big data. But this conversation makes me think, you know, if, if a toothbrush is capturing data and your washing machine is capturing data, is there not a huge amount of data yet to be kind of mined from people's homes? I think we've always been in the business of mining data from people's homes. We have sold people. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Products, we've probably tracked how often they've uh, bought things through points-based systems and cards and loyalty schemes and all these kinds of things have been tracking our behaviors. It's just that that tracking hasn't really happened inside the home uh, with, of course, devices, whether that's mobile phones, computers. Then we get an extra piece of information that we've been gathering for the last 10, 15 years, 20 years. Um, and now we are going into uh, a world where we know precisely when you are washing your clothes. Is that really that interesting to someone? Maybe, maybe not. It depends who you are. It depends who that company is. It depends what your needs are. If you're someone with a disability, for example, you might want a lot of automation and you might want a lot of voice services that are able to help you negotiate very complicated mechanical objects like white goods. Um, if you're someone who is in a family, you also might want to shave off three seconds off of doing something that seems quite benign, but you know you really appreciate that three second of time saving. And presumably, the the room that you put something like Alexa in starts to really matter when companies are able to access that data. So, so just to think of some examples off the top of my head, if you put it in the bedroom, Alexa probably knows how often you're having sex. If you put it in the bathroom, Alexa probably knows if you've got a stomach problem. Presumably we're not that far off a situation where 
companies are then able to access the data that enables you to be marketed at around potential implications of either of those two things. Yes, absolutely. And that's why I think we have to be very careful about how we use them. I think we should also get back into good old British habits of uh, disconnecting things at the plug and uh, saving ourselves from uh, vampire power, as it used to be called, because it does allow us to say, not right now, and to really be, um, to involve ourselves in the capture of data in a very active way. And how much do um, smart homes and thinking about smart homes, we've talked a lot about the smart aspect. We haven't really talked that much about the home aspect. And there's a, a huge kind of worry across the UK at the moment about how we're going to house people in the future, people living longer and people not being able to buy. Um, are, are there things that smarter homes can do to start to address housing challenges? I think a lot of people are looking now at some quite, what I consider to be some quite disturbing uses of technology in um, with the housing crisis, which is to say, track how people who might be in social housing are using energy or using um, their homes in order to track whatever may or should or should not be happening. So I think that there's a danger there to profile people on, again, their indoor lives and their private lives using these devices. There's a lot of schemes around um, helping uh, assess energy use uh, for elderly uh, homes and for sort of uh, carers to be able to tell things from a home from you know without even visiting it or deciding I suppose uh, well it's not worth visiting because that person has gone to the bathroom this morning or did have their cup of tea because I can tell the kettle was turned on so I think we run a risk of treating at least um, with people who are living in precarious situations we run a risk of treating them like pieces of data. I um, went to a conference a couple of years ago. It was a world government summit in Dubai, and they had a a um, display of futuristic products, and one of which was a kind of indoor farm, and it was self-regulating. So it was growing food for the family um, without the family really having to do much. It's just because we're kind of built into the fr- side of the fridge almost. Is that a realistic proposition? Um, agritech and sort of home agritech always focuses on a very specific kind of thing that you can grow. So usually microgreens. So very, very small lettuce-like plants. Cress. Yes, the cl- basically. The classic thing you grew in at the age of five in school. Exactly. And your science experiments on, you know, cotton somewhere. So there's a lot of that happening. Uh, for you to be able to feed your family, I think you'd still need an allotment or a garden. And you'd still need to do the heavy duty of doing that but thinking thinking it through it you know we've seen in the last year or so a real focus on the amount of plastic packaging used and i'm somebody who gets very frustrated one by how much plastic i have to use day to day but also by whenever i have to buy herbs um because i haven't yet disciplined myself to have a couple of herbs in the garden so maybe there is a world in which a kind of self-growing herb tray might be something of the future i think it's a reality and that product is called click and grow okay And uh, it is a little unit where you can grow different types of herbs that they give you in little pods, and it comes with its own very, very bright LED scheme. Well, I still believe that my mum's religiously listening to every episode of Government vs. the Robots, so that sounds like my Christmas present sorted, so thanks very much for that. I think my last question is around um, how well integrated 
data produced by smart homes is with companies who might have an interest in that. So I'm thinking, for example, about insurance companies. So an insurer, I'm sure, would be very keen to know some of the things that smart homes can tell you. Is that is that a reality already or is it being worked on? A lot of insurance companies are really looking at what you might call dynamic insurance. So listening in based on a voice assistance or your energy use or your heating use and being able to adapt how much you pay every month depending on that usage. It's very tricky to be able to model uh, that accurately and for those companies to really get a data set that makes any sense because the way in which you and I live, I'm sure, is very different. And the way in which I in the same real estate will live, if there's another person in the house, will be very different. So that modeling of behavior is really tricky and I think often very inelegantly done. There are models that are unhelpful and uh, those companies eventually just end up dumping because it just doesn't make any sense. And is, is that analogous to um, where we've seen sort of algorithmic biases emerge in other situations? Is that something that's a realistic problem when insurance companies try to look at household data? Well, I think it's um, thinking about biases, but also the uh, personas that people use when thinking about services. So someone who is signed on to wear a wearable in order to have lower um, monthly costs for their health insurance, for example. Well, what if they're ill for two weeks? Does that mean that they should be punished because they had the flu? Surely not. Uh, and they're not going to you know, spend the rest of the month running even faster than they did in order to compensate for the two weeks they were away. So we're not machines, but uh, insurance companies, I think, are struggling to figure that out. Forgive me, I've two more questions just popped into my head. But one is to ask, um, you obviously, you convene um, IoT London. And I imagine that you would know better than almost anybody to what extent politicians and parliamentarians are thinking about any of this. Um, has it crossed their radar? Should it have crossed their radar? Well, I think David Miliband made um, a joke once about IoT, uh, and Ed Miliband certainly, I think, brought it up as a, a joke, you know, diss against David Cameron once. Uh, so I think that the word has been uttered in the Houses of Parliament, whether it actively is something that they're thinking about right now. I know DCMS have uh, been building some white papers around security of these devices and how we might protect consumers. I know that which are very interested in this, uh, but how this then becomes law or influences law, I think is a few years away. Is there anything you would think should be being thought about from a legal or regulatory perspective? I think there needs to be much more of an interaction between the Consumer Protection Act and the Data Protection Act because you're not only buying a product, you're also buying a product that has software on it. Example of um, really poor behavior is, uh, for example, companies that force you into agreeing to their new terms and conditions. Um, and if you don't, the product is disconnected which feels really weird when you've bought something, you own it, and it should be a service that's rendered to you no matter what. So the law will come in and regulators will come in to help with that, I think. And lastly, I always try and find a way to end these conversations on an optimistic note. So if you were looking forward to the next couple of decades, what do you think the, the greatest chances are for us to talk about how smart homes improved people's lives? 
I think we have to go back to the communities that are behind a lot of this technology in the first place, which is communities of people living with a disability inside the home space. I think they will benefit tremendously. Um, I don't necessarily know that the average, you know, 24-year-old living on their own on their first house will, but I think someone living with a disability, whether that's physical or otherwise, will benefit tremendously because of that remote access, that remote control, that voice control, all of these things I think will make their lives hopefully a little bit better. Great. Alex, thanks very much for joining me. Thank you for having me. That's all from Government versus the Robots this week. Hopefully you've enjoyed the episode. As ever, if you've enjoyed it, please do tell your friends about it. You can follow us on Twitter at G-O-V-T underscore V-S underscore robots. My thanks to Sky Redman for her help with the editing and production of this podcast, and we'll see you again next time. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.